personalization is going to be so commoditized that you're going to just see great brand experiences, great digital experiences. It's going to become the norm and that won't get cut through anymore. So that does mean, okay, well, what does get cut through? And there's some really interesting things I started to see just this year alone. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Kat Warboys from HubSpot. Kat, welcome to the pod. Hello, thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. And I think um, most listeners to the pod will have, will have heard your name. Kat is Senior Marketing Director for all of APAC at HubSpot, essentially responsible for growing HubSpot's business across the entire APAC region. You started it, I was kind of looking at your LinkedIn bio before the pod, and you started at HubSpot almost eight years ago um, in a senior mm-hmm. marketing role. And since that time, you've kind of risen through the ranks. You're a well-known speaker, contributor to the marketing community, both in Australia as well as throughout Asia. I can't wait for today's conversation. Thanks for spending some time with us. Um, and where, I thought where it'd be nice to start is just your journey from, I guess, university to now, I think it's quite a daunting job. Like you're, you're the head of marketing <laughs> for one of the most uh, well-known bits of marketing tech out there. You're kind of firmly in the sights of all the marketers in the country. So that's, that, that, that's kind of daunting. So I'd love to just hear the journey from you know, how you started and how you got to where you are. Yeah, and that, that's a very kind introduction. I appreciate that. And uh, if we were videoing this, I'd be blushing. <laughs> that's, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, it has been uh, a really wild and unanticipated journey, I have to say. Um, I often feel bad when people reach out for some sort of career advice that I disappoint because I'm not somebody that would have ever had you know the five-year plan when it comes to my career I have very much been somebody who just likes to get their head down do the work uh, and I'm drawn to work that interests me so whatever is making me curious I really follow that I've been lucky enough to have great great managers kind of nudging me in the right direction along the way but definitely not someone who's had certain roles or titles or achievements in their sights or in their plan to have under their belt, you know, by a certain time frame. It really has been, well, what's interesting and let's follow that and do that. And I kind of feel like everything else has, has come, which I'm most likely in a fortunate place to be able to say that. But, you know, I think with this space, I think if you're somebody who has a lot of curiosity and loves to test and loves the fast-paced world of tech and, and marketing in itself, then it's a, it's a great industry for the curious. And my journey started in Australia after uni. I'm from the UK. Sometimes my accent confuses people. Either people get that instinctively or they're like, oh, I didn't see that. So I thought I'd just clear it up. For the I, I, I suspected as much. <laughs> yeah. So um, I went to uni in the UK and I studied really randomly like business with a, a specialty in tourism because at that age, what do you want to do when you're older? I want to travel. So that sounds good to me. Um, but it was just so interesting at the time, you know, when you get into the marketing, you know, modules and part of that degree, how different it was in the real world, you know, when you got out there, it was so, you know, direct mail and it was so traditional. And pretty much as I left uni, my first job was in an agency doing marketing automation, Mm. which was just not covered. And it was like, oh my gosh, I feel so out of my depth. And what is this? But I loved it. I loved that. Like I I wouldn't have said I was into marketing from that experience at uni. I really wasn't interested in it. Mm. Um, but you get to Australia and you're trying to get in the workforce, so you take you take the roles. I love I love marketing automation. <laughs> it's been my dream job since I was a young girl. 
exactly. I need the visa. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I think it worked out incredibly well. Fate was obviously looking down on me because I loved it. I didn't realize how at that point we could actually start to measure our impact in a very real way in marketing. And so I found that fascinating. It was challenging though. That was a time where this was a decade ago, more 12 years. Marketers were not it was very new to start using technology in this way. So mm. we were using a marketing automation tool and really going into train marketers, you know, if you're going to have an event, you want to create a landing page and that landing page is going to have this thing called a workflow that sends a confirmation email and that's a trigger and all this new language. And there was honestly a lot of resistance at that time. I really enjoyed it. I loved my role training in these tools, but I think there were many, it was a time when marketers' role was being challenged. You know, they were expected to be suddenly data scientists and digital gurus. And traditional was kind of like really seeing the back end. And I think that was confronting for marketers. It was mm. such a shift. And I was kind of really seeing that as I came into the industry. But honestly, absolutely adored it. And the tools were expanding. We were starting to see sales enablement, you know, coming to supplement just the traditional CRM, which was really like an address book uh, at that point with some nice lead scoring capabilities. So we've come a long, long way. And it's just been so fun to be part of that journey. And I've gone from agency to client side. And yeah. then, yeah, I had HubSpot reach out to me and thought, why not? And, you know, it's been eight years of quite, quite the ride. You use the word three times, curious, and it's definitely a trait which probably took us longer than we should have to identify that and our best team members are the ones that who are genuinely curious and the space changes so quickly. I think a lot of people in marketing, particularly in the digital side, like they've come from such diverse backgrounds and I know it's changing now. I've done some lecturing at universities and what is being taught at unis is just so different to what's happening in the real world. And I think part of that is the speed of change, right? And if you're not excited by change and interested in self-learning as well as doing ongoing education it's i think it's really hard to succeed as a digital marketing agree there's so much benefit to kind of be on the job style right and just kind of getting your hands dirty when ai really started to boom in the way that it did early you know 2023 we were having some events and we had Stephen sheila who's a former amz facebook ceo i believe and he is really on the forefront with his own business with AI at the moment. So we kind of got him into chat on it. And one of the number one questions he was getting was, where can I skill up on AI? Like, what course should I enroll in? And he was mm. like, oh, they're probably all going to be out of date by the time you do. Like, maybe just try, maybe just find an environment where you can test and play with these things. His takeaway was like, I wouldn't sign up. Like, you're learning your forums for learning at the moment should not be traditional courses. You need to be listening to podcasts as they happen, uh, you know, blogs. It's really the up-to-date stuff. You don't bother enrolling in a course mm. on this right now. And, and to your point, I think that's just been a real theme throughout tech in the last mm. you know, 10 years. That's true. Because obviously HubSpot, I mean, my experience working with members of the HubSpot team, they're superstars, spoken to many members of your team at HubSpot about how you go about hiring and it's not easy to get a job there, right? Why have you been so successful? Because I'm not going to let you off the hook, which is I've been, <laughs> I've been curious and therefore I've risen to the top of marketing in Asia. But like more specifically, like why do you think you have done so well there? Um, it's a really good question. And apart from, you know, those personal traits of, you know, being curious and experimental and, you know, being eager to test, that wouldn't have gotten me very far if HubSpot itself didn't have that culture for learning, for, you know, learning fast and failing and all of those things. And 
they provided a ton of autonomy. You know, we as a team back in the day did a lot of things that weren't within our remit or our goals, but we were like, we're in AMZ, which is very often treated in global companies as a great pilot region. Yeah, and we totally. absolutely took full advantage of that. I was part of this, but just a really great example that I, I like to give is the team that I worked with at the time really saw capabilities in like Facebook Messenger for B2B when mm. really only B2C were just starting to think about how they were using that as a communication channel. And, you know, we really led the experimentation, got, you know, dev support, not a lot of it, but enough um, to really test that out. And then we ended up acquiring a company to build chatbot building capabilities into things like Messenger and WhatsApp. So that's the kind of like company that, and I think culture that, you know, it's no good to have curiosity if it's not welcomed where you work. Mm. And I will give a lot of credit to HubSpot as a company to really foster that culture and celebrate it and recognize it and give the autonomy and, you know, I think people that are curious and want to do well thrive in those environments. So I feel like I've evaded your question a little bit again oh, as to why. I'm going to keep, keep, keep going until I get the answer. <laughs> uh, as I said, like, you know, head down, uh, do the work, testing things differently. Like, and this, this is just, there's always opportunities to do things differently. And I think we're at a moment in time. I mean, it feels like we're always at this moment in time in marketing where we need to challenge and cut mm. through is harder than ever. And, you know, anything that you can see an opportunity to do differently from right now. I'm, I'm looking a lot uh, as I'm hiring for a few roles. I'm really excited by bringing some traditional B2C marketers into the company. I really want to see B2B brands acting far more like mm. a B2C mm. to get cut through in the next couple of years. So, you know, what are things that we could be testing and who's going to help us get there? So just always seeing opportunities to look at things through a different lens to see where that might get you. What, yeah. what might that encourage you to do differently? That's a great segue into the next question and probably answers it a little bit. But a lot of listeners to the pod, we've got a diverse audience of mid to senior marketers. We also have a good cohort of younger marketers. What are you looking at when you're looking to hire a young marketer? And I think from both the CV and the job experience and university, if that's all relevant, but then also yeah. some of the softer stuff as well. Experience-wise can be really tricky. I feel like in a regional role, we do still to this day value that broad marketer because we don't have huge teams and we likely won't have super large teams as regional offices. And we shouldn't, I believe in that fully, but we do need to make sure every year that our headcount is used on the roles that we know matter and are going to have a difference and of what we need to be focusing on at this point in time. So could extend outside of just the regional setup, to be honest, looking for that broader marketer. As I said, we want to make sure that when we see an opportunity, when we see something that's worth pursuing, we need people who can adapt and pivot. Mm. Um, so it's less about what you've done, but how did you go about something? So in an interview process, I'm very much like, but how did you do that? Because if somebody has a process and a way of thinking, what I'm really looking for is how that could be applied to many different types of marketing or tasks that we might want them to do. So I think there's definitely that piece to it. I think in a longer term vision, we are seeing less of that science and deep expertise. There's absolutely a place for it. And I'm quite excited by this resurgence of more of the brand and the creative side, especially mm. in B2B mm. at the moment. And I think that's a big result of AI that's kind of mastering the science for us. And I'm really hopeful in the next couple of years, and this is a bit of a personal prediction, that we are going to see that more sort of B2B brands entering that brand marketing arena more. Mm. Zero did it last year with the Women's World Cup. Like, an accounting platform sponsoring Women's World Cup. I think that's very exciting. Um, I think that's a sign of things to come. And so creativity and more of that brand experience is something I'm also paying a lot of attention to at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's 
went to South by Southwest last year and heard David Droger speak and I thought it was, it was kind of so reassuring as a marketer, which I think we're all sitting there going, are we going to have a job in, you know, in 10 years time? <laughs> and I think that the idea of things do change so quickly and it's the speed of change is faster now than it was before. So the idea of hiring, hiring someone based on what they can do in a specific way is just yeah. feels a bit short-sighted because what they're going to have to do is, is change and pivot and all those things. But you kind of made the point that AI will revolutionise how we're running campaigns and how we're running marketing teams and they'll kind of be this it's almost this prism of tech but then old school marketing and strategy and all those things that just don't change and we'll have this kind of incredible tech layer but then we'll have this layer of you know ingenuity and kind of he talks a lot about the idea that makes the hair on the neck kind of stand up and not anytime soon that a computer is going to do that stuff and we've kind of gone through this wave of marketing being technical when yeah. I think the space will be technical, but I'm not sure that means to be an excellent marketer, you're going to need all of that stuff anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think our CMO has a podcast. It talks a lot about this, but this idea of the personalization is going to be so commoditized that you're going to just see great brand experiences, great digital experiences. It's going to become the norm and yeah. that won't get cut through anymore. So that does mean, okay, well, what does get cut through? And there's some really interesting things I started to see just this year alone. The amount of articles I've already read. Okay, it's not like a huge volume, but it's a surprising volume for brands talking about how direct mail is coming mm, back. Yeah. And as I said, like B2B brands going towards that brand marketing space, I think there was uh, one of the dating apps. Oh, somebody's got to uh, find out which one it is and let me know because I've tried to give the example a couple of times, always forget the name. One of the dating prominent dating apps has started to do in-person meetups because people yeah. are sick of connecting or trying to connect online on these apps, yeah. which is what these apps are um and that they're starting to you know crave in person again and more like different ways of meeting people and so it's so interesting that a dating app which has only really come about in the last you know what, five six years is now sort of pivoting more to this kind of community in-person events kind of space there's just all this crazy movement things are coming full circle things that are adapting it's just a really bizarre time yeah and you know i think you always have that zag right when industries and segments kind of zig there's always the zag. Yes. like yeah similar to that read an article today that uber is going to pilot like basically booking an uber via a phone call for executives which is just bizarre the idea that i still don't understand the rationale behind it but the, okay, yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is kind of um but they're, they're piloting it kind of saying well we're just testing to see if that's what our customers yeah. want and, and fair enough so exactly very interesting yeah and i think big fan of the work that atlassian did for so long where they kind of took b2b marketing and just applied a b2c lens to it and it was i'm not sure where hubspot sits at the moment with content marketing and gated content but they kind of said no nah, we're not gating stuff it's all out there we're, we're marketing to people and we'll do it in a in a more of a b2c way but it's really interesting to see how b to b marketing is changing at the moment yes it is a lot i think with the with the content side you touched on it's less about like whether we're gating content i think it's how we're thinking about content and so i think we've really moved on from the days of downloadable white papers or reports i think they absolutely have their place yeah. and we we serve marketing and sales personas and we definitely find that marketers would much would love, still love a report whereas a sales professional may prefer a youtube video or a how-to video or something like that but i think involving some of those lead gen magnets to be of more value and these can look like you know free courses it can be tools an example of a tool we use at hubspot is a website grader you know mm. putting your 
website domain name and it will do a full analysis or make my persona, spits out a template. So really evolving, okay, there are more ways to think about how you add value through content that isn't just the written blog or report anymore. And yeah. I think that's also why there's been so much success, of course, with the freemium model in SaaS is what is better than actually allowing somebody to try before they buy and that that, that level of high intent that is so mutually beneficial for the business, but also the person really getting a full taste and flavor of your service and your product and, and how it's going to help. 100%. And it feels from the outside, look like we've been a HubSpot partner for years. We use the tool ourselves. When HubSpot introduced that freemium kind of, it's, it feels that that was just so integral to the success of HubSpot. Yeah. But it is yeah. all, I, I see people using the tool for free and it's, it is just this mutually beneficial kind of relationship, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's worked. It's a ni- once again, a nice segue into it. Now, I wanted to talk about HubSpot. And um, fair to say, the vast majority of listeners will have heard about HubSpot. So, what role does marketing play at HubSpot? Like, what are you doing in, in the team? I only talk about things that you can actually talk about. But yeah, just so curious like the role, the markets you're responsible for kind of being an operation in, and how do you market to marketers? Because it's hard enough. I think most of us <laughs> in the businesses we're in, we have all these non-marketers telling us how to do our job. So I'm curious when you're in an industry where you're targeting marketers, how do you, how do you do it? Yeah, I think I think we're almost lucky in that respect with marketers. Like we started out as a marketing company, right? And a marketing automation tool. Our founders were so spot on at the time. They didn't just make a software, they created the methodology, which was inbound. And that was something marketers could absolutely associate with. Inbound back then, as our founders described it, you know, was really the antidote to what felt like marketing that had become really obnoxious. It was all about your big ad spend and how <laughs> best of your abilities you were interrupting people in their day. And it was just a bit, you know, yeah. not not great. And so inbound came along and it was all based on the value of how about we add value to people before we extract it. And we do that through great marketing. And so it was just <laughs> really fortunate when you love marketing and you're a marketer and you market to other marketers. It was it was brilliant. I think the way we did that through content and education, that was the other thing. Like we had the product with the inbound methodology, but we also recognized we had a part to play in building careers. So the academy was something that came a few years later, which is online destination for learning for all sorts of professionals today. It, started out as marketing, but it's also sales, customer success. And so we really felt like we had a job to do in this fast-pacing world of marketing mm. and how and we actually help in careers. And that was such a big part of our values and it still is to this day. And it's why we invest so much in thinking about our audience more as we're helping careers grow. How can we help marketers do the best work? There's all these changes coming. How do we figure out what this means um, so that we can then educate our customers on that and just package that up in lovely great marketing <laughs> so, but, and we've done this all the way through and so it still is fundamentally inbound is that fair to say like you still would most of the activity you're doing is great content webinars checklists all the things like good seo all the stuff that hubspot has used so much to like there's obviously been events i guess that's probably been interrupted with COVID and but yeah t- it depends like i think everybody tries to automatically or by default think of inbound as like a particular channel it's only a blog or Mm. it's only content and it's really not it's a value it's like adding value before we extract value and we do that through our freemium motion we also realized um i say the royal we the founders i'm sure realized as they were building the company and getting you know really great success with marketers and on our marketing product kind of realized well it Inbound doesn't just apply to marketing. It's a way of selling. Mm. It's a way of servicing customers. And so that value has really led to how do we, in those 
personas and for those professionals do the same thing. How do we help them get better at their careers by really being at the forefront of education? So like, I think it's more about a value, but then how do we package that up? And I think that can really change an persona. Like, as I alluded to earlier, marketers definitely still seem to love a good old report and content that is more longer form. Whereas we're learning with sales people, it's actually been a lot easier for us to reach them on the educational level of awareness stage on YouTube with like how-to videos mm. and things like this. Um, they tend to network an awful lot more. Mm. So it really doesn't come down to the channel as much as it's like how well you understand your buyer and what are the best ways to take your hopefully brand authority and, you know, point of view and perspectives. And that is becoming really key. When you ask what we're doing at the moment, I think there's a huge shift that we're trying to work out so we can bring our customers along on this journey is, you know, what is going to happen with content, with AI, kind of writing it all for us and being able to do all of the how-to stuff. I think what we're seeing is people want a lot more perspectives and personality mm. from brands. Um, and it's amazing is if a brand, you can actually have a bit of an influencer uh, that works for you. I think that is kind of, the creme de creme, it's like, yeah, people don't always want to hear from companies as much as they do individuals. And that's yeah. why we see the boom of influencers and creators and all of this. So I think this is going to impact, you know, how we create content for search, how we create content at the brand level. You know, we are seeing signs of this. Our wonderful automation team have actually decided to retire for now the humble newsletter, the one that has been, has worked for a long time, but and not to you know use this terminology to downplay it. it's been very effective but essentially offer stuffing mm. then those newsletters that are like here's an ai report here's a report on how to do this and this and this have slowly been declining and that's not to say that newsletters don't have a place but that kind of how to offer stuffing doesn't work anymore and where newsletters are effective we're finding is like where there's personality or it's news related so very timely we acquired the hustle um at hubspot not that long ago and i think that's a great example of a newsletter that built up huge audience and following because of this kind of quirky very newsworthy information in business and I think the other type of newsletter that does well is very pointed. So it helps me figure out how to do one thing. Mm. One of our HubSpotters, Kieran Flanagan, left the company. He's gone really big on AI. He's the guest speaker on the, the podcast. He sends newsletters that's purely AI driven. And mm. it's very clear what I'm going to get out of that. So what are we doing? We are trying to work out like what tone and angle has content had to change mm. in this new world that we seem to be entering. And is it like we're having this, this conversation podcast forum you, you yeah. host a pod, yeah. which is brought to you by HubSpot. You mentioned CMO on a pod. How do you um, refresh my memory kind of thing? My memory is HubSpot, say 10 years ago, articles would be written and you'd have an author within HubSpot that would kind of have been seen to have published it, which I think was quite brave from brands where a lot of brands would be like, that person's going to leave eventually. We don't want to kind of connect them. <laughs> but exactly as you said, like what we see works best for our clients is you don't buy from a brand, you buy from people. And LinkedIn strategy, generally, we're trying to get clients to have people within the business. Ideally, you've got founders or thought leaders, but often you don't have that, right? If you're particularly the yeah. bigger you get, it's harder. How do you navigate that as quite a big business? How do you determine who it's going to come from and when it's going to come from a person? And, you know, do you fear people leaving? How does that kind of play out internally? Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot in that. Um, I ask about so... six questions at a time, it's hard to answer. <laughs> I think this doesn't help. We have very good retention at HubSpot, so uh, <laughs> we've got a great culture and I think we retain good people. It's a perfect but answer. <laughs> it happens, it happens. No, Kieran Feingen, uh was very much the head of acquisition. 
amazing thinker on this and he's moved to I believe Zakia I'm going to kick myself if I get this that wrong after this but I'm pretty sure he moved to Zakia and you know going to HubSpot for years and years and years and really build up a profile he is still a guest speaker on the HubSpot podcast like mm. it's not like they move on and all ties are dead we find ways to still work with these individuals and I think that's why there's still such a valid play for influencers and creators and you know, if it's not coming from the brand icon that people want to hear from, it doesn't mean you can't give your audience the platform where you are bringing those people, those individuals that they want to hear from. Mm. So I don't think it's like you have to have these experts or really well-known people in your brand to succeed here. You can absolutely think about it in many, many different ways. It's more about how are you adapting your content and making sure it's cutting through at the moment. It is full of personality. It is offering perspective. That's probably the key word, actually, Mm. perspective. That is what we need to be solving for, both at the search optimization level going forward, but also just a resonation with our audience level. Yeah, it's good. I think it's a good um, proof point or case study for marketers out there in organizations where they're struggling to get buy-in to actually publish on behalf of individuals within that company to actually look at HubSpot and see like these guys are huge, lots of thousands of employees and they're still brave enough to do it. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it, does, it does kind of work. Keen to just hear about the different markets that you're working within like how different is it marketing within mm-hmm. australia to to new zealand through to the different countries in asia different languages i'm not sure if that's is that a thing is it not a thing just yeah how, how does the apac kind of role sit yeah it's uh it's a great question uh it's what um I probably enjoy most about the role there's definitely a challenge and i i think what i mean by that is when you were an ic or an individual you know contributor working you are very passionate that everything is different about your market. Like, oh, we're completely different. And when you're in a global organization and we've got customers, it's up to customers in 120 countries, not physically there in that many countries, but we've got quite a presence. And you, as I've grown into a leader, I think I've appreciated that balance and that trade-off for when do we need to solve for every individual nuance and when actually can we see a good result by, you know, applying the same uh, campaign or the same view in, in different markets. So that's been something that I'm still to this day, I think, learning and figuring mm. out. And it, and it shifts and it changes. What helps us in these markets, uh, we do a lot of research. We do across particularly Australia and Singapore, which is some of our, you know, two key headquarters in the, in the region. A lot of the time, the trends are very, very similar. What I mean by that, we did a report called Connected Customer Research, and very similar trends in the number of marketers saying it's harder to get cut through at the moment in both regions. The number one reason why it was hard to get cut through. We also do some consumer trends. We started to, which I think is very powerful. We don't just survey B2B leaders at the moment. We try and survey consumers where it makes sense to kind of tie up what's happening. Why are marketers saying that this is difficult? What are consumers saying? And that's, that can be very enlightening. But even those trends can be very similar across markets. We may not be as different in some of these trends given just how global Mm. the world has become and how we're all kind of you know following suit but I think what is important is how we're telling stories I think the narratives and how businesses individually are being impacted and I think there is a lot of pride in regions for some of those homegrown brands this has been a big part of why we created um, podcasts that really hone in on Australian brands it's been very successful for us Um, we're a global company and we're like, there are a lot of great brands coming out of Australia that we think other you know, marketers want to learn from. Let's start to tell those stories and how they solve for their markets is 
is really important mm. at that cultural level. And we see it all the time. We work with our, our brand team. And sometimes, you know, as a US company, the humor isn't going to quite land for Aussies. Um, it doesn't quite hit the mark. Or, they just don't, um, they don't get us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it really tests you to go into those meetings and try and, you know, mediate and <laughs> not, not downplay somebody's great brand work, but <laughs> just to, to describe the differences. So it's interesting. I think we're seeing really similar trends, but our audience still respond really, really well when they see their market represented back at them. So a number of ways that we do this is, you know, all from the small things from we're never going to copy and paste an event from Australia to Singapore. We have to have Singaporean brands. We have to have Singaporean spokespeople explaining what it's like in that market because there are differences. I'm yeah. talking about high level trends that remain the same. And we do a lot of this through our customers. I think if you're trying to establish, I think if you're a small business and you're really struggling with localization across different markets, because as I said, as a leader, I can see now it's, it's timely. We really have to make sure the ROI is there in some of these things, yeah. even though I fundamentally believe local wins. A really powerful way is to is to leverage customers. You know, we actually saw, and credit to someone on my team in Singapore, who was like, I know we don't really do this and we want efficiency. So if we do a webinar for Asia, we kind of make it normally for Asia. I kind of want to see what happens if we do one for the Philippines. And we're really just going to, on that page, pull out some of the key points, pain points that we know our product solves for better in this market versus other markets. Some markets have, for example, pain points could be cost efficiency versus loving the ease of use of our platform, just yeah. as examples. Yeah. And so some pain points really ring true in different markets. And so leading with that pain point as we you know, promote the webinar and then bringing in those local customers we saw a significant increase in the number of attendees in this case from the Philippines mm. register and attend and go through to sales from that webinar at a trends level, but audiences still understand their market, understand their challenges and know their business essentially. That's some really good insights. I think any marketer having to, because I think the reality is, is that all marketing teams are restricted by budget and the whole localization yeah. thing, even more so it's kind of like compared to the, the mothership, wherever that may be, you just, have nothing like the budget so it is a case of prioritization right like how much yeah. localization versus leveraging those assets that have been done done globally in terms of asia yeah like is it mostly english language that you're dealing with yes yeah. it is from a marketing perspective not from a product or English language perspective yeah. but from a marketing at this stage yeah yeah it makes sense i think i'd like to take the conversation now just into hubspot itself so when I introduce you, said you know every marketer listening will know of HubSpot. I think that's true. What I think is maybe less understood is how the product itself has changed over, say, the last five years. Or I think it mm -hmm. so much work was done so incredibly well inbound marketing, marketing automation, email. If we could just talk about the work that's still happening there, but also I think talking about Sales Hub, service, how they interact, and I think a lot of us might not be necessarily fully aware of how far along HubSpot has come on the sales side because it, it is kind of a, it's a very different product to what it was five years ago. So without getting into like the kind of nuts and bolts of it, just kind of yeah. what's happened. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, and I alluded to this in some of the journey that I started on, which was began as marketing motivation. And I think we realized actually, yes, there was a better way to market. There was also a better way to sell and service. And so over time we have expanded into a sales hub uh, and a customer success hub. Uh, we also have a CMS and an ops hub as well. So 
the vision really has been to be that single source, that that toolkit for your full go-to-market teams, marketing, sales, and customer success. I think how we've managed to do that in a way that personally sets us ahead is we built all of that from the ground up in the product. So other companies may to achieve something like that, where you have tools that ultimately serve a different department and, and different buyer and different needs may rely on mergers and acquisitions to bring that into their product. That has been successful for many companies, but it does have a downside, which is be very hard to truly connect those from, I guess, an experience level. So, you know, a marketer should feel like when they're in their marketing or the, you know, their content hub or HubSpot, if they're going into the CRM, which they absolutely should be going into the sales hub, feels like very much the same product and same, same experience. So from that user lens, but also from a data is a much, we see a lot of benefits from our customers who house all of their data in that one place with their hubs built on top. It is by far more seamless, more connected. We find that reports actually add up <laughs> when you're trying to report on customers. So that's been, I think, a really big part to how we've been very thoughtful about building out the product to really solve for your full go-to-market teams. And that's paid off in, you know, some really interesting ways that we definitely couldn't have seen coming. Um, the great tech stack consolidation that we saw off the back of COVID, mm. you know, when COVID came out and everybody had to digitalize, they took on so many individual tools that they were left with, you know, a tech stack of, I don't know, um, 60, 100 different tools that their teams were using and none of them were connected. Like that's never going to lead to a great customer experience. And so there was this shift where companies were very incentivized to reduce that tech stack, but without losing capability or functionality. That's something that I'm very proud as a marketer selling HubSpot that we've managed, managed to do. From a, a features perspective, AI has definitely become important. And also, I guess, enhancing the need for your tools to be connected across those teams. You know, you cannot give a good experience and AI is really going to shine through for brands and its ability of personalization and it relies on data for that. And so you need to know who that first time visitor is. You need to know who a loyal customer is. I'm still surprised today that, you know, brands don't have that full visibility or end-to-end -end data. So we could be sending marketing promotional emails to a customer who's in a real like red ticket flag could be about to leave your business, but we're still, you know, smashing them with promo emails. It's mm. it's really a missed opportunity. And I think it's very powerful where we can have all of those teams on one platform. And I think it's hard, right? It's, I think as technology gets better, it becomes easier, right? But traditionally, it's been very, very hard because every business has different nuances and different differences. And generally, the bigger you get, the more kind of custom your needs get at certain points and not at all to try to shield for HubSpot, but it, it's no longer just this little CRM that, you know, a small sales team of five people can manage. We're talking about HubSpot stealing market share from, you know, the big two, the big one yeah. kind of competitors in the space for absolutely massive and complex sales environments. And when you can then plug back into marketing hub and you have this kind of bringing together of your sales yeah. and marketing views. It is for the right business of which there seems to be an increasingly large number. Like it is a, it's a pretty amazing solution. Yeah. We definitely hear from customers that of the things they value, the one that kind of comes through time and time again, at probably the top list is the simplicity. I think for a long time, there's almost a a sense of pride. And if you need a complex mm. and custom solution, tech debt, staff debt, <laughs> time debt, whatever you want to call it. Um, there are many downsides to having systems where people were spending more time configurating, adapting, that really constrained businesses from being able to adapt to move forward. I think mm. as, you know, 
as the buyer environment has changed so much, you can be really constrained by your tools if that's the case. And we do hear stories of customers who, you know, have to go through tickets with their ops or dev teams to, you know, have a new field added to a form, which is just not the barriers or challenges that mm. you need to be putting in front of your teams who need to be pivoting fast, moving fast, adapting and testing different things. And so usability is definitely be something that has remained a core part of our product. It's always surprised me how the team has managed to keep it simple because it is, as you add complexity to any tech product, it's so yeah. hard. It's so like even just in terms of speed, right? But yeah. UX and how do you hand over all of this control to users yeah. without them turning it into something that no one can use? And I think Salesforce has always struggled with that, right? It was always viewed as this incredibly powerful tool, but in order yeah. to have that power came with it, you know, the fact that yeah. external people had to implement and get to pull consultancy in. And a lot of those things are now... I mean, if I can use it, anyone can use it. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah. You've had people that say that, so uh, yeah. I don't feel any shame in saying that. But like, like obviously, they're, it's a great tool. They have, you know, great market share. They're, they're doing something very, very right. In all of this as well, it, it would be impossible for me to say what complexity your business is going through, but also like coming back to that idea of, you know, the tech stack, I can't say how many tools are right for your business. Some of those flags that businesses just can't afford to have time sunk in those areas anymore and not be focusing on the actual execution, doing good work, because we're, we're spending so much time maintaining systems. Yeah. Kind of jumping now into just broader marketing landscape, like what do you see as the big the big areas in the in the next year or so? If I could sum some of them up from the conversation, AI, and I'm glad we didn't have a huge AI conversation because it feel, really feels like it can dominate uh, these mm. chats at the moment, but I think the trend that AI is going to bring is increased productivity, which is such a good thing as we've just been talking about, you know, you want your teams being able to respond and do great work. We know from one of our AI reports that um, those that have gotten a good flow of using AI on their work are saving up to two days per week, pretty huge. And some of those top use cases are around, you know, text generation, you know, all those things that get our work going that we're coming in and tweaking at the end. So a lot of productivity gains, but also that personalization piece is the other big and that's really key. Something we're, we're, we're describing is the big switch off at the moment, which is really a signal from the market that suggests brands have missed the mark on their communications or the volume of their communications. People are feeling absolutely bombarded by irrelevant marketing materials. That was one of the main reasons some, our, our research where consumers cited they were having a bad experience. And it's not just limited to our research. We're seeing this play out in very real world ways. Kmart was fined 1.3 million last year for sending unwanted email to their customers. Commonwealth Bank was another one. I think they had like a record high of 3.5 million fines. So people are switching off and it's definitely getting harder to cut through. I think the key takeaway for their for brands is is going to be quality over quantity. And with AI, do you do you see the biggest changes? impacting marketers coming from us and people in our teams and our agencies using tools like ChatGPT and BARD to kind of speed things up that we once, you know, used to spend time doing? Or do you see the biggest impact likely coming through tools like HubSpot where the, yeah. these big tech companies, they themselves are kind of like, where, where, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, um, I'm certainly not an expert in this matter, but definitely what the signs that we're seeing and how I think about it at HubSpot from a marketing perspective, we are reducing time on some of those more manual tasks, um, whether that is, you know, coming up with blog content ideas or, you know, titles for our posts. Jenna is definitely helping us there. The thing is, you know, 
we've had AI in our products for a long time. Mm. Most of the products available, like I've saw on the market have, it's just, this is the first time we have generative AI, which is actually helping us create new things. Mm. So we use it and we see it on our data, which is feeding into personalization, which is now tapping into content streams. So it's really that piece of the puzzle where it's like, we have the insights and AI has actually been helping in the reporting level for quite some time, but how are we taking those insights and feeding it into campaigns? And even as the sales team, the recommendations, I think we talk a lot about this, or I do at least in marketing, but I'm, I'm actually deeply more curious on what's going to happen with the sales teams. A team that might not historically has adept at content marketing as say marketers, mm. but do have to do a lot of that in their outreach emails. Some of the AI features is def definitely benefiting the sales professional in a lot of that outreach and the communications. This is great for several reasons. The big one is obviously buyers are becoming more educated, coming to the table with higher expectations from their sales conversation. Um, the more we can reduce on the sales team in terms of those admin tasks, whether that's forecasting or even prospecting insights, is a very, very good thing. I yeah. kind of forgot your original question, but I went no, on. No, no, no. I think just in terms of like how do we actually see AI impacting us? Like is it us kind of yeah. going off and doing these things or is it the tools which – and Google says the same thing about AI, right? Which is we've had AI in our product since 2007. Like it's not yes. it's not that it's necessarily new. It's just the way that we're interacting with it is different. It's interesting what, just why you said that because I think one of the top barriers we see with AI is actually people, is training. People do not know how to engage with it or hmm. prompt it. Starting to be seamless in some tools, but in many areas does require engagement still and prompting. It can be very daunting where to start with that. And it's one of the biggest barriers that we mm. hear from when we ask people about AI. Yeah, interesting. And I think it nicely weaves in the conversation that we had earlier, which is it's so easy now to create content, right? And it is so easy to then to blast content out there, whether, whether it's a blog or an email or whatever it might be. And you just have to come back to that principle of value. Like if the, the communication that you're about to send to a sales prospect or through a marketing EDM, yeah. if it's been helped or enriched with AI, no problem at all if it allows you to do a better job and make it better for the end prospect. But there's just no way that these tools are going to win by just bombarding people with average quality content they don't want no exactly right and i think that's why the personalization piece is so important like on one hand there's an argument oh, we're just going to create more volume and it's like if we're doing it right we should create less volume because we are getting it so right if you mm. think like the majority of businesses right now may not be that hyper personalized we should be moving mm. away from that world where we get that hit the first time because it is so highly personalized we're able to tap into audiences that are ready now I think that's going to have uh, great um, impacts on, you know, our spend efficiency, conversion rates are going to get so optimized. We're spending less, maybe less volume, um, but certainly higher intent and conversions happening. So mm. if we do it right, it shouldn't be more. It should actually be less and a very good experience. Just, just, um, done, just done better. Otherwise. I love it. Kat, we finish every episode of the pod with the question, what's the best piece of career advice that you would give to an in-house <laughs> marketer? uh ask for forgiveness not permission <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one i don't think we, a, we haven't had that one yet okay good good it was advice that's been given to me and is so far i've got no yeah it's, it's gone well <laughs> Love it. Ex excellent way to finish the podcast thanks so much for joining us no my pleasure thank you for having me on it's good chat thanks for listening to the smarter marketer podcast stay up to date about new episodes on linkedin and instagram by searching for smarter marketer podcast you can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au 
or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.